Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is Executive Vice President of Positive Grid and founder of the Women's International Music Network, Laura Whitmore. First of all, the RIAA, which is the Association of U.S. Record Labels, reported some big revenue numbers for 2021. So according to the RIAA, all of the record labels combined made $15 billion in 2021. Now, what they go on to say is, this is the most that was ever made by the music industry. In 1999, which was the previous high, that was only $14.6 billion. As a result, what you're beginning to see are articles that say we're at the best time ever for the music industry. It's never been as good. But wait, hold on. Let's adjust this for inflation. So $14.6 billion in 2022 dollars is actually $25.5 billion. So in other words, the best year that we've had in a really long time is still 37% less than the best year that the music industry ever had. So when you start to read these articles that say the music industry is doing better than ever, yeah, it's doing really well, but it's not quite better than ever. It still has quite a ways to go. If we look at the numbers a little bit more, we find that 83% of all of that revenue came from streaming. Only 11% came from physical. 4% came from digital downloads, and it's surprising. And sync licensing, 2%. If we look a little further into the numbers, vinyl was up 61%, and in fact, it would have been up a lot more, except that the world ran out of pressing capacity. So vinyl made just over a billion dollars last year, but CDs made 500 million. So CDs, surprisingly enough, are still viable, even though they continue to drop at about 20 to 25% every year. Still, it's a lot of money being made. Now, some of those numbers might actually go down next year. For instance, for vinyl, there's major supply chain issues. So, for instance, they can't get PVC, which is at the very core of making a vinyl record, can't get those pellets. Of course, there's not enough capacity in pressing plants. And there's a few coming online, but not a lot of really major ones. And the shipping costs have gone through the roof, especially in the EU, thanks to Brexit. So... There's a lot of things that are actually in the way of both vinyl and CD manufacturing. And again, I sort of think that we saw a big year last year and may not be quite as big this year. When you look at those numbers, they look really good, but take them with a grain of salt because we still have a ways to go to get back to the good old days of the music business revenue. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, learn about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. You'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, I get a lot of press releases And many of the times, if they don't apply to me, I don't really look at them hard. But one came across my desk that was very interesting. It was about the Moore Prime P1. And they call this an intelligent pedal. It's actually an ultra-compact audio interface and multi-effects loader that contains 126 guitar effects, 73 bass effects, and 40 drum machine slots, plus 
an 80-second looper. You can get dual effects chains for bass guitar and 10 classic bass guitar amplifier models, and there's the obligatory tuner and metronome built in. So all this is controlled by an Android or iOS app, and you can control it from a Bluetooth foot switch. The unit is about the same size as a phone, and unfortunately there's no price indicated yet, so we don't know how much it's going to cost, but knowing more, it's not going to be too terribly expensive. Okay, so why do I bring this up? Could this actually be the beginning of the end of the analog effects pedal for guitars? Now, the interesting thing is, one of the hottest sectors of the guitar market is effects pedals, but we're starting to see more amps coming out with built-in digital effects, and with the units like the Prime P1 coming out, now we're seeing maybe a guitar player doesn't need all those effects because it's pretty much built into one unit. Not only that, it's easy to get a switch bank that's just Bluetooth enabled, and there you go. You don't have to worry about all those pedals. Plus, it's possible that you can get the best versions in the emulations that are built in. So this could be interesting because it could mark a big change in the guitar effects and guitar pedal market that I don't think anybody saw coming. My guest this week is Laura Whitmore, who started a career in the direct marketing department of CBS Records before a 20-year stint as the marketing director for Korg USA. There, she was instrumental in marketing, PR, and artist relations for the Korg, Marshall, and Vox brands, as well as the editor of Korg's ProView magazine. Laura then started her own PR and marketing company called Mad Sun Marketing, with clients like Acoustic Amplification, PV, Sterling Audio, SIR, Korg, and many more, before signing on as VP of Marketing for Positive Grid. In 2012, she also founded the Women's International Music Network to create a hub to connect women in all facets of the music business and expose them to role models, events, and educational opportunities that focus on women in music. During the interview, we spoke about the difficulties of doing PR in today's social media world, the idea behind the Women's International Music Network, musicians as entrepreneurs, and much more. I spoke with Laura via Zoom from her home office. Let's start first, though, with your background and how you got into the music business. I understand you're a singer-songwriter, so I assume that that was your entry into the business, right? Yeah, I am a singer-songwriter, but that was not my entry into the business. Um, actually, you know, I have been a musician since I was a teenager, um, but I I went to school for music business. I went to Hofstra, and my first job out of college, I worked at CBS Records. Always loved music. Actually, when I was going to college, I wanted to go for performance, and my parents are business people, and they're like, no, how about this music business program? And I was like, okay. Um, but in hindsight, it worked out really great. So yeah, I started I started at CBS Records and then moved over to Korg USA working uh, in their marketing team and was there for 20 years, uh, marketing Korg, Marshall, and Vox products. And then left, started my own firm doing marketing for the music musical instrument industry. And just a couple of years ago, uh, joined the in-house Positive Grid team. Yeah, let's just go back to CBS for a second. What did you do there? 
Uh, I worked with the senior vice president that ran Columbia House, so the record club, if you remember that back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I was an assistant to him. I was, you know, pretty fresh into the business, but I did learn a lot about um, direct marketing and planning and even, you know, travel planning because I would plan their, you know, retreat for the team and um, just kind of getting to know the different functions of the, the record label. But I, after a couple of years, I tried to move around within CBS and it was a huge company, but you still had to know the right people, you know, to get where you wanted to go. So um, the job at Korg kind of fell into my lap and yeah, I started out doing artist relations there. So that was a really great transition for me to go from CBS over over to that company. I mean, it was back in the heyday of record labels too. So yeah. there was a lot of crazy stuff going on there. It was pretty cool. But it was kind of the beginning of the emergence of Korg, wasn't it? No. Well, it was interesting because when I started at Korg, the very first product I worked on was the M1. And I don't know if you remember, like that was a big deal, right? It was the first music workstation. So I was doing artist relations and I literally had, I must've had a list of like two or 300 people waiting to get an M1 and a shipment would come in and they'd give me four, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I remember thinking at the time I was so new, but I I was thinking like, man, is every product launch like this? Uh, You know, the answer is no, but uh, it was pretty, it was a pretty exciting time for Korg back then it was a very revolutionary period and uh, you know helped them to grow a lot so yeah it was it was pretty fun what was the most fun thing you did there just out of curiosity at Korg yeah uh I had a lot of fun <laughs> I, mean, I was there for 20 years so I have to pick just one uh, doing artist relations was great it was pre-internet you know so I was out seeing shows four nights a week meeting with people. I got to know all the security guards at all the venues. They would just say, Hey, Laura, like, come on in. Um, and I would meet with people, see tons of shows, tons of live music. That was really exciting for a while until, until I got older. I wanted to have a family. It was a little tough to be out for five nights a week. Um, later on though, I really enjoyed, um, you know, I became the editor of their magazine ProView. I don't know if you remember Korg ProView magazine. I do. Uh, and that was really fun, um, working on the content for that, um, going to photo shoots and just, we did all kinds of crazy photo shoots and events and being out in the world where I really enjoyed that. I'm a, I'm a people person, so. I can tell. Making that happen was fun. Okay. So then you started your own PR firm and you had a lot of clients. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I started Madsun Marketing, so. We did marketing, PR, artist relations, you know, whatever, whatever people needed. And to be honest, it was, I mean, this is like 2008, right? So it was right, right when there was a little recession in the, in the country. And, um, I, I left Korg, I moved across the country to California and it was, it was pretty tough. I gotta say, like starting your own company, uh, I was really fortunate. I left Korg and I already had a pretty big client who was waiting for me um to leave but it was hard Uh, there was a time when i was like can i actually do this like maybe i should look for a job and then i I don't know things uh, i started hustling a little more and things started turning around and i i 
did um, ran Mad Sun for about 12, 13 years. And yeah, worked with all kinds of companies from little guys to big companies where, you know, maybe I did one function for them, but for a little company, I was their whole marketing team. So I definitely learned a lot, met a lot of people, had a lot of fun. But what's interesting, I think, you were there during the transition of PR because PR is different now, especially when there's so much done online and there's fewer magazines and it's just a different mindset than yeah. it used to be. PR is tough. It's, it's, it actually, at one point I was like, I don't want to do PR anymore. Like nobody wants PR. I'm sending them to somebody else. Yeah. It's, um, it has evolved to a place that it, I mean, we look at it from both sides of the table, right? You know, the people working for the media, they have less resources. There's way less of them, you know, like maybe there's one guy where there used to be five. Um, so it's just really tough for them to really give focus to interesting and new ideas. Right. And then there's a lot more metrics. So they're, they're not taking as many risks with the kind of content that they're going to run. Right. And and then there's just overall less places to go. I mean, that are that have like a, I guess, a critical mass of viewers, you know, or for people involved. But then when I look at today, there's other things, you know, there's podcasts, there's, you know, YouTubers, there's all kinds of different ways to get your story out. It just requires a different kind of hustle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... Again, you, you, there's so much revolving around social these days that you could just specialize in that. Yeah. The thing about PR, and you well know this, is it's so hard to justify your existence to your clients because sometimes what seems like a win to you doesn't seem like a win to them. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's all about metrics too, right? So it depends on how you're measuring success. So if if you're saying, hey, this is one piece of the puzzle in getting visibility from my brand or awareness, you know, that's a different goal than, hey, they didn't click through and buy anything. You know, like, hey, well, maybe this is the first time they've ever heard of you. They might not buy right away. Like, it's a piece of information that adds to their purchase journey. So I think you're right. Expectations don't always match up. And there's not always an easy way to measure, like, the results of what you think is success what they think is success i mean even with all the metrics we have today there's you still don't know everything you don't know how many things affected somebody's decision to purchase yeah no it's it's not i think it's tougher you know yeah, honestly i think it's tougher too i think pr is I, I mean i sort of lump pr into this idea of just other people talking about you you know, to me, it's not necessarily just about, hey, that magazine ran an article. Like, there's there's a lot of other things into that. I have a lot of friends. Well, I, I, I won't say a lot. I have a few friends that were doing PR for a long, long time that have transitioned to other things because it just changed so much that part of it was it wasn't fun anymore. And the other part of it, it, it was required a different skill set that you have yeah. to learn. And some people just go, eh, I don't know. I don't want to do it. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. Like, and I also feel like it's one of those, what have you done for me today type jobs. <laughs> that's kind of exhausting. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so I give those people a lot of credit that are still plugging away in PR. Cause it's, 
it's tough. So you made the transition to Positive Grid. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, you know, Positive Grid was one of my clients at Manson Marketing. So I work with them maybe for like two or three years um, as their agency. And then they offered me this job, this role as VP of Marketing. I went in-house with them just about like two years ago. It was April 1st, 2020. So it was right after we all went home (laughs) (laughs) or we've been for the last two years. Um, But it was also very fortunate. It was kind of funny. I'm just realizing this now as we're talking, like it was right when we were launching Spark. Like we had just launched Spark. Um, We had gone to NAMM in 2020. Spark ended up going crazy and people waiting for it for months. And I sort of feel like we had this sort of cult-like phenomenon happening around like when am I going to get my spark oh this guy got it how long did it take you what was your order number like all these things going on and it just really you know blossomed and and so I've been spearheading um marketing for the global team it's been really exciting for me um personally professionally you know as a person in the industry it's a very forward-thinking risk-taking company that is very focused on, you know, creating a paradigm shift, creating a new ways of thinking about creating music. And not a new, not just to be new, though, to be like useful, easy, inspiring, fun. And that's really exciting to me to um, sort of like dive in with both feet and, and really focus on building this brand. Can you describe the demographic of your audience? I have an idea of, about it, but some many times I'm wrong. What the perception is yeah. and what the reality is. Wait, wait, I want to know, what is your perception? My perception is it's more for beginners, but I have a feeling I'm probably wrong on this. You are totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of beginners use Positive Grid products, use Spark and, and Bias, and now the, the new Spark Mini. Um, because because it, there is like an easy easy entry into it, and there are features in the products that seem like no brainers for beginners. You know, like auto chords; it'll give you the chords to any song. You can learn a song. Being able to connect the app and have like all this gear to choose from, and just have some fun poking around and trying out gear. But I will say, it kind of surprised us too. Like when we launched Spark, many many people who bought and continued to buy Spark have other gear, have been playing for years and years, have 10 guitars. They're like, it's, it definitely has appealed to people who just love to play. And I think people saw the value in some of the tools, you know, they were home. Um, they had backing tracks at their disposal. They had smart jam that could build a track for you to jam along with as you're playing. And it, it just added this new level of interaction, fun, inspiration to players of all levels and we really see that now across the board like when we're looking at the demographics and information on people who are purchasing it's really like from the beginner to like the super season even like pro guys like we saw a video of um oh gosh like keith richards you know backstage warming up through his work you know it's it's out there that's pretty good yeah (laughs) yeah he'll sell some it's pretty broad yeah I think the timing was probably right in that, especially like for you joining the company when you did, because there's so many people that were home 
and had time that they wouldn't have had otherwise. To, so they're able to explore these things that they might not have otherwise. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think the whole industry really saw a boom in that regard where people were buying more guitars, uh, more interfaces, like just thinking about like, what can I do in, in my home? I think there was definitely this factor with you know, Spark especially where, you know, you might miss jamming with your friends and now at least you have like, this piece of gear that can give you some of that feeling. But I think we also saw like a lot of people who maybe had played guitar at one point in their life. And like you said, they didn't have the time. They didn't make the space in their life for that. And now they're home. They don't have to commute. Um, and this product just like inspired them. We, we see this in a lot of uh, social posts and things people are sharing about how you know, people like, man, I have, I've played more in the last month than I have in the last five years. Like, I'm just so inspired to like pick this up every day. Or I started to play and all of a sudden I looked up, it was five hours later. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the thing that players want. They want to get lost in their music. They want to be inspired to play and not feel like it's a chore to practice or, or, you know, that that they're not going to make that space like they're going to sit on the couch and watch tv instead of play guitar like no the guitar is super fun yeah and you want it to be fun anything that makes it more fun is what you want i mean as a guitar player myself i know that there are times when it feels like work and you you know there are times when it's the most fun you'll ever have in in the world so yeah and i think you know as as a team of people who are musicians, like there's so many people at the company that are not just guitar players, but, you know, a lot of guitar players, <laughs> uh, you know, we're all thinking about like, what would inspire us? What would make us excited? Let's like, let's add features that you look at it and you go, man, like, why didn't I think of that before? Like, that's so logical to have that as part of this product. And then you're like, oh, I never want to not have that again, because it's added so much to my enjoyment experience. Is there anything new coming out that you can talk about? Well, I mean, we just launched Spark Mini like two weeks ago. I have one here. Um, so that's that's brand new. Um, the, the other cool thing I think about what we do is, you know, we have the Spark app, which is a companion to the, to the gear. And we're constantly, you know, creating updates to that, like new features. We just launched, like, we just put a tuner in the app. Everybody's like, hey, like, we had it in the hardware, but now we have it in the app. Because, you know, like I said, we're always trying to think of, like, you know, what can we do to just make this better, cooler? And that stuff gets pushed out to everybody who purchased, you know, any kind of Spark. There's, you know, so there's, there's definitely more things coming that are in the app. Um, which I think people will really enjoy. And yeah, we have some ideas coming later in the year, but I can't, I can't talk about them now. Yeah, 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 I get it. Okay, let's talk about the uh, Women's International Music Network and how that came about. Yeah, um, yeah, thanks for asking. So the Women's International Music Network started in 2012. Um, at the time I was writing, I was actually writing in an editor for Guitar World magazine. And I started writing this blog for them called Guitar Girled, where I just interviewed um, female guitar players, women in the industry. And I started to hear the same stories. You know, we don't know each other. There's like, 
like the guy thought I was the merch girl. They thought I didn't know how to hook up my own gear, like all these things, you know? And, and it started me thinking about how, like, wow, I don't really know the other women in the industry either. So I thought, well, man, maybe it would make sense to have an event at NAMM that just brings women in the industry together. And and that sort of evolved into the She Rocks Awards, which we're celebrating our 10th anniversary um, this year. But, you know, I, also at the same time, I was like, well, I don't want to just launch an event. Like, there should be some organization that is the, the umbrella organization for this idea of bringing women together. So... So I launched the Women's International Music Network and the She Rocks Awards at the same time um, and had the first event in at the 2013 January uh, NAM show, which was a breakfast. So we started out with the cheapest meal of the day, uh, <laughs> least competition for events. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our first year we had like Orianthi performed and, and we honored some women and we had a great time meeting people and it's really evolved over the years into this major events and and we're working on the next one which is june 2nd um in anaheim and you know last year we did a hundred percent virtual event which actually went fantastic um taught us some new tricks too but yeah so um the she rocks awards is a very inspiring event that honors women not just celebrities but women behind the scenes we we do honor women from the music products industries and audio and record labels and educators and all kinds you know and it's always so fun for me to, to give them the opportunity to feel like they're appreciated and to share their stories and you know we have performances and dinner and the whole it's a whole thing it's the classy event at the name show <laughs> <laughs> i'd be surprised if it was anything less to be honest with you yeah and it's live stream too so if you can't go you can watch you can watch it live Women have traditionally been underserved in the industry, and that's why it's so needed. I, I understand completely why this happened. I, I, okay, here's a question for you. What is the percentage of women to men in the music business? In the music industry? Let's just talk about the industry first, yeah. I don't know the answer to that question, but I would guess, this is my guess, it's probably like 5% women. <laughs> it's really low. I would say it's better than it was. Like when I started the Women's International Music Network, I think it was tiny. Now when I see companies, when I'm talking to people at other companies in the industry, there are definitely more women than there used to be. But I still think it's quite small. There's a lot more women players as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's been some research. I think um, Fender did some research, Guitar Center, um, that showed that uh, a huge proportion of purchasers of products are women on um, guitars especially but i think and i think that there is more visibility of those players i just you know i think we probably need another study to know more about the progress since then because that was a few few years ago i i think that there's more acceptance of women who are players but i don't think we're there yet it's like total equals <laughs> when i first started I never had any bias against male versus female because it's like, if you can do your gig, I don't care. If you can do it as well or better than a guy, then no problem. One of the things I did find though, and it's not there now, but there was sort of a, a group inferiority complex. And women were very protective and because it, it was a self-defense mechanism, really. 
I haven't perceived that in a long time, which I think is a giant step forward. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I do think that, I mean, women have experienced a lot of discrimination Hmm. in the music industry. I mean, especially if you talk to like veteran musicians, I mean, even like Jennifer Batten, like people like that, like they've all, they can all, they all have stories they can tell, like Lizzie Hale, like everybody. But I do see, what I do see is like in the younger players coming up in the world, I don't know if experiences happen less. They just won't take it. They won't, they'll like say something right away. They're not sucking anything up. They're just like, you know what? I belong here. Like, I'm fine with it. Like, if you don't like it, go somewhere else, you know? And I think that's a shift in like how we can respond to that and how we can kind of reject that kind of behavior. But that's an overall shift in society that allows that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. But healthy, though. Healthy, definitely for sure. It's progress in the right direction. (laughs) Yeah. Where do you see the organization going in the future? Well, you know, we've started to do um, more outreach. We do a lot of educational type events, um, bringing women together. Um, We definitely are about networking and creating opportunities. And, you know, one thing I've always thought, maybe it's from my own personal experience, is that, like, when you look at people you know, young people, people going to college, whatever, if they don't know that these career opportunities exist in the world, then they don't think about like, hey, I could work in the music products industry, I could go be an audio engineer, whatever it is. You know, one of our goals has always been to show like these role models in the real world, like doing these things. And I think like, one of my goals is to just get in front of more people when they're making decisions about where they're going to go in their career, so that they can have that information and be like, oh, like, you know, hey, I saw Laura talk on this panel and she was talking about this idea for a career. Like, yeah, like, it's not even a question of like, can I do that as a woman? It's just, you know, more of like exposing that this is already happening. You could be a part of it and kind of going from there. So I'm always about outreach, exposure, education and opportunity. And that's what we continue continue to do, you know. One of the things that I noticed and this really isn't male-female at all, it's just a general statement, the people that I started with in the business that have grown in the business with me, we've all grown together, and we've all become somewhat successful. Success in that you've made a living from it. You know, making a living is a new success, as they would say. (laughs) But there were two things. One was persistence, and one was the fact that where we all started was as players and where we're ending up is in other places and yet still have a very fruitful and fulfilling career. And that's one thing that I don't think young people in general are as aware of as possible. You know, you get the blinders on, I'm just going to be this, but uh, you know, life pulls you in different directions and it's not necessarily bad. I agree with that 100%. I don't really know what young people, I mean, I have kids who are in their 20s and I kind of know what their perceptions are, but I think like there's no roadmap in the music industry, right? Like people think like, oh, I'm going to play and I'm going to gig and I'm become become famous. Like, oh, that's magic. Um, But other than that, you know, it's not like there's this prescribed, you know, career path for people. I know my own personal experience, my career has been like so windy 
I, you know, especially when I was running Mad Sun, I was running another business called Backstory, which was like a live stream interview series with musicians. And I was running the Women's International Music Network. And then like sometimes other things came up and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let's check that out. I think it's more about, you know, nurturing this idea of open mindedness and that you have, you have to be out in the world to like see opportunity and like create opportunity and think about like, how does that connect to what your goals are? And I, I think like the best thing we can teach people is, you know, how to network, what does networking actually mean? And then what do you do with that? Um, because I think there's a lot of misperceptions about networking means me trying to get something from somebody mm. when really from from my perspective, it's about like, how do you find like a mutual connection and this like, you know, exploration of like, how can we help each other? Like, is there something we could do? It doesn't have to be today. It could be 10 years from now, but this idea of like, I guess, giving out instead of taking in. Cause I always feel like if you like put that out in the world, it always, it always comes back to you. You know, what's interesting as well, we're in a business where we're all entrepreneurs and even if you have a job, it's not a, not for your, the, your entire career for the most part. You were lucky because you had 20 years at one company, but it's rare when that happens in the music business. So we all have to have this entrepreneurial outlook. And unfortunately, there aren't many schools that teach that as part of the music curriculum. It's like, oh, you're going to go get a job as a player, as a teacher, as something, yeah. but you're going to get a job. And it's more like, oh, we got to go make a job. I think you're right. And, yeah. And I think musicians probably especially need some insight into that because especially today, you kind of have to be a business person and a musician. Like it's pretty rare that you can just play and somebody else takes care of all that, all that other stuff for you. And it, it's, some of it's really hard. Some of, you know, I'm still learning new, <laughs> yeah. new things about running a business or, you know, thinking in a, on an entrepreneurial level. And it, it's not for everybody, like for sure. But it's, I, there's probably some basics that would be good for, for anybody in the world to know, not just in the music industry. But see, there's a good educational opportunity for the network for you. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to make a note. Yeah. <laughs> oh, because I bet that a lot of your members are missing that one little piece that might mm -hmm. make a difference mm -hmm. for them. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Okay, last question, Laura. What's the best piece of advice? Could be business, could be music, could be just life advice. But the best piece of advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or maybe you learned along the way? Yeah. That's an interesting question. I probably have 20 pieces of advice. Bring it on. Yeah, I do think like, you know, what I was just talking about, I do think like getting out into the world and talking to people is really key. You know, we're so isolated now. And even, you know, even I think like when you talk on Zoom or whatever, it doesn't have the same effect as when you actually are with people and the connections that you make when you're in person with people. You know, I always thought that... um you know, my secret weapon for meeting somebody that I wanted to know was to either like go to a show where they were doing a panel and like waiting till the end and going up and saying hello or um, moderating a panel myself and inviting them to be a guest on my panel because 
everybody loves to be on panels. So I think there's always a way to to connect with the people that you want to know. I, I'm always like, I, I don't know. I'm just a big advocate of showing up. Like so many people don't show up. If you show up, like you're halfway there. You can find out more about Laura and Positive Grid at positivegrid.com. That's positivegrid, all one word, dot com. Also, you can find out about the Women's International Music Network at thewimn.com. That's all one word, T-H-E-W-I-M-N dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you can also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 